Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more lights, and more love. We have an incredible episode today. They're always so incredible. We have an uncanny episode today because we are doing a Beyond the News podcast where we comb Earth's news feed for the strange, the unusual the esoteric, the mysterious, all of these types of news that are out there since the last time we've did that. I think it was like six or seven weeks ago. So in that time, certain things have happened around the world, around the universe. And we cultivated those articles, those stories, those mainstream news stories. And we're going to share them with you because that's what we do here. We share things. And I'm here with the one and only Bryn Anderson of Vital Force Herbs. Hello, Bryn Anderson. Hey, how's it going? We're doing another Beyond the News segment. I'm really excited. I enjoy these. I got a good response. People like them. They enjoy looking at what's going on on earth from a spiritual, metaphysical, psychedelic, funny intellectual, intelligent perspective. Not that I'm tooting my own horn. <laughs> Definitely. I'm curious to see what you dug up this time. You always find some pretty interesting articles. Well, it doesn't take much these days. There's high strangeness. <laughs> to find them on. or just for interesting things to happen? <laughs> I think both because high strangeness is going on around the world. It's, it's true. doesn't take just but a little bit of research there with my, my uh, Irish accents. Just take nothing but a little bit of research to find just this, this human anomalies, these mysterious situations. Before we get into that, though, I need you to do me a favor. If you have not done this already, maybe you have. Follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. You can follow us there. Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you go to get your podcasts, please click the button that connects us. Therefore, you will get those notifications. You'll know when the episode drops, the newest episode, or anything really that we're doing. Maybe we'll do bonus episodes. You'll get notifications about that too. Of course, most importantly, tell a friend. Word of mouth is so important. Please tell a friend. Tell someone you know that loves these type of podcasts. Midnightonearth.com. All right. Social media shout out is done. And now on with the episode. So here we go. We're going to be looking at things that cropped up since the last Beyond the News episode, which I said was like six or seven weeks ago. There's so much that's been going on. The Pentagon's UFO report has dropped. If you remember last time we did be on the news, we had some clips from former president Obama and other figures talking about UFOs in a public setting. 
waiting for this report to come out. The report came out. We're going to get to it. We're going to talk about it. And we're even going to play some clips. So here we go. And is there structure to this? Is there a pattern? I don't know. Maybe there is in some chaotic, <laughs> multidimensional, fractal form. But we're just embracing the flow of these articles as I present them. Here we go. The Guardian. Headline. Scientists identify 29 planets where aliens could observe Earth. Last time we talked about how Earth was in the visual range of 1,000 galaxies. Well, they're whittling it down. And now they're saying 29 planets, the 29 closest planets are there. There's about 29 of them that are the closest that can observe Earth. Astronomers estimate 29 habitable planets are positioned to see Earth transit and intercept human broadcasts. Oh, good God. Whoa, I know. <laughs> I, what, there, what are they intercepting? Isn't I wonder. there like a 80s uh, movie about that? I think it's called Explorers. The aliens are out there. They intercept our television and try to see how our culture operates based on our broadcast transmissions, man. I'm think we're in trouble if that's the case because how do they know what's real and what's not right <laughs> okay here we go listen to this for centuries earthlings have gazed at the heavens and wondered about life among the stars but as humans hunted for little green men the extraterrestrials might have been watching us back in new research astronomers have drawn up a short list of nearby star systems where any inquisitive inhabitants on orbiting planets would be well placed to spot life on earth the scientists identified 1,715 star systems in our cosmic neighborhood where alien observers could have discovered Earth in the past 5,000 years by watching it transit across the face of the sun. That's how we discover exoplanets. It's, they could do that to us, is what they're saying. Among those in the right position to observe an Earth transit, 46 star systems are close enough for their planets to intercept a clear signal of human existence. The radio and TV broadcasts, which started about 100 years ago. Okay. So they're getting some Charlie Chaplin, some silent say, movies. So they're getting know, a radio, three, three one of those radio shows. Or, yeah. Like the radio storytelling the, movies from the twenties or something. The researchers estimate that 29 potentially habitable planets are well positioned to witness an earth transit and eavesdrop on human radio and television transmissions, allowing any observers to infer perhaps a modicum of intelligence. Whether the broadcast would compel an advanced civilization to make contact is a moot point. One way we find planets is if they block out part of the light from their host star said Lisa Katlenager, professor of astronomy and director of the Carl Sagan Institute at Cornell University in New York. Well, we know they're watching. They're always watching. So a hundred years, they're the closest planets that could, could be watching us are hearing and intercepting our broadcast from around a hundred years ago, 1921. So that's really interesting to think about. That's kind of when... Wasn't that kind of when radio just started, like en masse? Like, I think so, yeah. Right about that time? That's yeah, it was before it got sensationalized. It was still just kind of basic entertainment, news, things like that. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, here's a fun one for number two. Elon Musk, one of my heroes so far. We'll see. We'll see how how he is. Elon Musk shares SpaceX's Starship Raptor production plans to colonize Mars by 2050. And this is from Tesmanian.com. This is a website devoted to Tesla and Elon Musk. This is an article written there. SpaceX's ultimate goal is to enable humans to live on Mars. The company runs around-the-clock operations to develop the technology and Starship spacecraft that could make it possible. SpaceX founder Elon Musk hopes to have the first sustainable sediment on the red planet by the year 2050. The ambitious timeline pushes SpaceX teams to innovate rapidly. The company is preparing to perform its first orbital flight test with a prototype of the Starship launch system, which includes the spacecraft atop a gigantic, super heavy rocket that will propel it to orbit. The company plans to launch Starship from South Texas to orbit and land it off the coast of Hawaii during the first orbital flight attempt. This past week, Engineers initiated the Boosters test campaign, which involves ground testing the stainless steel vehicle. So this incredible vehicle Elon Musk has created has has insane technology behind it. All of the technology. And he's going to Mars. We're going to have colonies of Mars by 2050. That's 30 years from now. So if you're listening to this and you're 70 years old you'll be 130 years from now if you're listening to this and you're 60 years old you'll be 90 they say the average age of a human is somewhere in the 70s so they say who knows so if you're below 65 you're guaranteed to see colonies on mars in your lifetime guaranteed your kids lifetime grandkids definitely pretty exciting to think about strange and exciting interesting i had in my sixth grade class there was a poster above the drinking fountain that showed like apartment buildings on mars and it said you're going to get to choose where you live when you grow up are you going to live on earth or are you going to live on mars so i always thought that that was going to be already like happened like 20 years ago. Well, things got held back. They milked it a little <laughs> bit longer. It's hard to turn down billions of billions of dollars of suppressed technology and what, what people benefit from that. So let's go to the next article. Freethink.com. Here's the headline. Hands-free smart farm will replace laborers with robots. The country, Australia, is getting its first fully automated Australia's Charles Sturt University has announced plans to create a hands-free smart farm where robots will do all the work. No human labor is required. The majority of the food we eat comes from farms, and as the population grows, so does the amount of food needed to feed it. However, there's a lot of work that needs to be done around a farm, and many farmers are having trouble finding people to do it. Labor shortages have been a chronic problem in farms throughout the developed world. Robots and AI could help close the labor gap, literally doing the jobs people used to do. 
The tech can also help farmers optimize their operations, allowing them to produce as much food as possible on their land. It won't be too many years before technology will take farmers out of the field and immerse them in the world of robotics, automation, and artificial intelligence, says Richard Norton, CEO of the Food Agility Research Center. and He predicted that in a press release. To show how much of these technologies could help farmers, CSU and Food Agility have partnered to create Global Digital Farm. This smart farm will be built at CSU's campus and it will feature autonomous tractors, harvesters, and other farming robots, as well as AI programs designed to help with farm management and more. Wow, that's incredible. I, I, you know, it's that type of labor is grueling. It's fun to be out in nature, but it is grueling. It's monotonous, it's repetitive. It's maybe not conducive to the human experience. Maybe it's not the best situation for the humans to express themselves. Maybe people want to do that. Maybe people love that. But the amount of people that is required to do that type of labor is more than the people that actually love that type of labor. I'm pretty sure. So it's not a bad thing. This technology, these robots getting this work done that is so repetitive. It hurts your back. It hurts your hands. You get carpal tunnel. There's nothing wrong with this. We have to embrace the good things that technology can give us and make sure we're keeping our spirituality in place. So the negative things don't manifest. So here we go. Here's a funny one. South Korean toilet. This is <laughs> Uh-oh, where is this going? <laughs> Reuters.com. Here's the headline. South Korean toilet turns excrement into power and digital currency. Is it called shitcoin? That's what I first thing I thought of. Okay, here we go. Using a toilet can pay for your coffee or buy you bananas at a university in South Korea where human waste is being used to help power a building. Okay. Cho Jae-won, an urban and environmental engineering professor at the Olsen National Institute of Science and Technology, that's a lot of words, has designed an eco-friendly toilet connected to a laboratory that uses excrement to produce biogas and manure. The B-Vi toilet, a portmanteau of the words B and vision, uses a vacuum pump to send feces into an underground tank, reducing water use. There, microorganisms break down the waste to methane, which becomes a source of energy for the building. Powering a gas stove, hot water boiler, <laughs> and solid oxide fuel cell. If we think outside of the box, feces has precious value to make energy and manure. I have put this value into ecological circulation cho said holy cow well where's the pay for your coffee part so cho to answer your question has devised a virtual currency called google which looks like google if you spelled it wrong like g-g-o-o-l I I, okay it's not even a word which means uh, honey in korean okay i guess so it, it is, is a word. word each person uses the eco-friendly toilet earns 10 google a day. <laughs> Literally shitcoin. Students can use the currency to buy goods on campus from freshly brewed coffee to instant cup noodles, fruits, and books. 
The students can pick up the products they want at a shop and scan a QR code to pay with Google. All right, I'm going to read one more quote from this article. I had only ever thought that feces are dirty, but now it's a treasure of great value to me. Postgraduate student Ho Hu Jin said at the Google market, I even talk about feces during mealtimes. Think about buying any book I want. Oh my God. Literally shitcoin hey. people. It's coming. I got a cum rocket for the porn industry. So why not shitcoin, right? Here we go. This is a interesting space story. Yahoo news headline. China reveals plans to colonize space with the Mars base cargo fleets, alien cities, and a sky letter. See, they want to one up Elon Musk. Elon Musk says he wants to do this thing. He's like, Oh yeah, well, we're going to have a sky ladder. Uh-huh. <laughs> Here we go. Like from earth to Mars, like a ladder. Know. You just take it. Let's find out. I, I actually don't know. Let's read the article. China's plans for the future space exploration include a Mars base planetary development and a sky ladder to transport cargo. Doesn't sound as exciting. No, it doesn't, does it? The first of a three-step plan involves androids launched to take samples of Mars and look for the location of a Mars base site. That sounds exciting. Said Wang Zhaojun, head of the state-owned China Academy of Launch Vehicle Technology at the Global Space Exploration Conference, as reported by Global Times. Following that will be a manned Mars mission to develop the base, while the third stage will be transporting cargo fleets from Earth to Mars to construct a community on the planet. The current timetable schedules these launches approximately every two years from 2033 until 2043. A potential fourth stage, a sky ladder that could reduce the cost and time spent traveling to Mars is also being developed but it is unclear how much progress has been made yet. Theoretical designs developed in computer simulations feature a space capsule traveling along a ladder made of carbon nanotubes to reach a space station. Following that, the capsule would be relaunched from the station to Mars. Wow. So, you know, everybody's trying to get to Mars. Everybody's trying to get to Mars. Why? Why are we trying to get there so soon, so fast when we haven't, fully fixed everything that's going on here. I get that we're going to find out that our ancient history is there. That's why there's this race there. Who gets the ancient history first? Who unlocks the ancient technology that's buried under the surface of Mars that's not being exposed to the cosmic rays, the lack of electromagnetic field? None of those things are happening underground in Mars. That's where all the stuff is. That's why there's a race there, I think. Hmm. But who knows? Interestingengineering.com headline China claims to have the world's most powerful quantum computer tops Google even. So you have to listen to this article. This is absolutely incredible. A group of researchers in China has developed what they believe to be the world's most powerful quantum computer, marking the latest milestone in a series of fascinating quantum computing advancements. New scientist reports. According to a preprint uploaded to Arziv, the quantum computer was able to solve a problem with 56 of its 66 qubits, the quantum equivalent of bits in a conventional computer, breaking the previous record by Google. 
Back in 2019, Google announced that its 54-quibit Sycamore processor was the first to achieve quantum supremacy. Quantum is, supremacy. Oh, Christ. <laughs> which is the point at which quantum computers can solve problems that conventional computers can't. Sycamore completed a calculation in 200 seconds that would have taken 10,000 years on the world's most powerful supercomputer. How do they even know that? That's because of the amount of information that's processed. Okay. It, it, it's insane. This is literally quantum computing. They're literally storing information in a potential dimension. Right. It's not in the third dimension. It's in its potential. It's so mind boggling. Okay, here, let's just cap this article off. Outperforming Google, the Chinese team led by Wan Wei Pan from the University of Science and Technology of China demonstrated the capabilities of their quantum processor called Zukazangi. Zuk, zu, Zukanzi. Zukongzi. Called Zukongzi. The 2D programmable computer can manipulate up to 66 quibits at the same time. This means it can encode quantum information, the quantum state of a single electron across 66 quantum bits. I wish I kind of knew what that meant. I was going to say what? It sounds intense. <laughs> I've done some research that is still wrapping my brain around it. Yeah. The researchers report Zukongzi has solved a problem in just over an hour that would have taken the world's most powerful classic supercomputer eight years to solve. And in the future, it may be capable of even higher performance. This stuff's getting out of control. This stuff's getting out of control with the quantum computing. I mean, computers we have now are incredibly powerful. I remember when it was a huge leap to have one gig of memory. Now you can get one terabyte of memory. RAM, not not storage. So as you know, we did talk about the UFO Pentagon report. They did release the reports. And at the sun.com, we have the headline, Black Project Pentagon's Classified UFO Report may have details of alien tech being probed by Area 51 claims investigator. So let's watch this video. Let's Let's listen to what he says here. So this is Democratic Representative Andre Carson. He's one of the representatives of Indiana. He came on Face the Nation. This is what he said. What we do know is that there are nearly 100, and there have been nearly 150 sightings. 80 of those sightings have been detected with some of the best technology uh, the world has ever seen. And uh, we, we, we can't rule out something that's otherworldly, but that's a very small percentage. Uh, people want uh, members of the government oh, really? to say it's extraterrestrial. We won't stop there, but certainly uh, it, it poses a technological concern for us and it poses a national security concern for us because we don't want our adversaries to have, one, a technological advance uh, 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 over us. And that's all I had to say. Strange planet we live on. We don't want our adversaries to have a technological advance and more information. Instead of like, wow, they're, I wonder what we could learn from somebody who's more advanced than yeah, us. Yeah, the humans in that region of the world might have more resources than us and therefore have more power. I don't understand. Here, let's listen to this article from The Sun. 
Classified sections of the Pentagon's landmark report on UFOs may contain details of alien propulsion to tech being probed at Area 51, an investigator has claimed. U.S. officials released the highly anticipated public document after giving a secret briefing to Congress two weeks ago. But now everyone is asking what is in the full version of the dossier. It was 70 pages long. I think they redacted it down to nine pages. Then, and that's what they released to the public. Mm. Speculation amongst UFO fans has been running rife as lawmakers and officials have all hinted at potentially significant information compiled in the classified section. Yeah, I think we're aware of that. There's a U.S. Navy officer who saw that Tic Tac UFO. And he went on 60 Minutes, and and he wanted to talk about it. He went and talked about his experience. And we're going to listen to it. Are you ready? Who is this ready. guy? John Bauman, a former U.S. Navy officer. Here's his story. Here we go. And we saw this little white tic-tac-looking object, and it's just kind of moving above the whitewater area. Do you ever drop your phone, and it sort of bounces off the... Mm-hmm. countertop and then bounces off something else what? and it's sort of no like no no predictable movement no predictable trajectory yeah you're projecting just, right now it's just like a ping pong ball no just acceleration very ping pong either very random acceleration yeah it was aware we were there you want to see how close oh, i can get really? so i go like this and it's climbing still and when it gets right in front of me it just disappears 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 like gone and you saw no visible propulsion, right. no, no wings or anything to no. make it fly in our atmosphere? No, actually when it turned and started coming up, it was kind of like, okay, because <laughs> we have nothing that goes that fast and just starts climbing at will. Well, there you go. That's his testimony. There you go. It's, it's going more and more mainstream. These are just more and more stories that more are More stories out. are going to come out. People are going to feel like, you know, they can put themselves on the line to tell a story now because it's not like they're the only person anymore. Well, let's jet on over to the New York Post where they have a story headline. Most Americans believe in aliens. New study reveals. Big surprise. They've been prepping everybody since 1947. Okay, here we go. The majority of Americans believe in aliens and we really do think they come in peace. According to a Pew Research study, about 65% of people said they think there is intelligent alien life on other planets. An even stronger majority of about 87% said they don't believe UFOs are a security threat at all or only represent a minor security threat. Americans under 30 years old and men are the two groups most inclined to believe in extraterrestrial life. In June 2021, the Pentagon released a highly anticipated report stating that 144 UFO sightings had been reported by government sources since 2004. Only one of the sightings was identified with high confidence. That's the one they said was a weather balloon. I think that might have even been Roswell. No, since, since 2004. Even a 1997 poll from CNN Time found that 80% of Americans thought that the government was hiding knowledge of the existence of extraterrestrial life forms. Wow. Well, you know, like I said, they've been pumping people, they've been priming people, getting them ready for this disclosure. So yeah, of course people are believing. And that, that, uh, 
that poll is also another way to get people to believe. Exactly. They're like, oh, 80%. Hmm, well, wow. Well, let's get back to the land of psychedelics. Okay. Well, now psychedelics are going mainstream and people want to start injecting the money monetization concept into it. Oh, we saw that with cannabis pretty rapidly. So, so here's stockhouse.com. Ready to tap into the U.S. $7.6 billion psychedelics market? That's the headline. Wow. The psychedelic space is well on its way to becoming dominant in terms of treating a range of, of medical conditions similar to the cannabis boom we've seen over the last decade or so, and companies in the space are vying for a top spot in the capital markets. There's psychedelic capital markets. Right? The stock. <laughs> like, get your stock in psychedelics. That's such an interesting... Psychedelics are known for changing or enhancing sensory perceptions and thought processes while also amplifying spiritual experiences. Utilizing psychedelics to treat mental health-related concerns has risen in prominence for disorders such as anxiety, depression, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and other psychiatric conditions. As the prominence of these conditions continue to rise, so too does the psychedelics market. According to a survey from Data bridge market research, the industry is expected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of 13.1% to $7.56 billion by 2028. And everybody wants a piece of that. Yeah. Give me a piece of that 7.56 ayahuasca billion. Driving this growth will be an increase in anxiety and depression. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so the world's going to shit. Uh, it turns out uh, you can invest in things that uh, help the world be seem better. Driving this growth will be an increase in anxiety and depression and the renaissance of utilizing psychedelic drugs to treat the afflictions as they continue to show promise of increased efficacy compared to the currently prescribed medications. One of the challenges of commercializing psychedelic medications is that the well-known psychedelic drugs are all in the public domain and cannot be patented. Yes. Oh my God. I can't even believe you think about that, but you know they are. Of course. And that's why I brought that. And that's why I brought that article to the table. But here's another one in that same vein. Good news today. It looks like they're pushing forward with federal cannabis legalization. And from WashingtonExaminer.com, headline Schumer, Senator Schumer to introduce, Chuck Schumer to introduce compromise bill to lift federal prohibition on cannabis. Holy cow. Interesting. Senate That's Majority Leader Chuck Schumer will introduce legislation with other top Democrats to lift the federal prohibition of marijuana while giving states the leeway to devise stricter regulations. The proposal known as the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act would, quote unquote, repair damage done by the war on drugs, especially in communities of color, Schumer said Wednesday. To date, 37 states in the District of Columbia have legalized marijuana for medical use, while 18 states and Washington, D.C. have legalized it for recreational use as well. However, marijuana is a Schedule One drug at the federal level, the same categorization as LSD, heroin, and other narcotics. The New York Democrat composed the legislation with New Jersey Senator Cory Booker and Senate Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden of 
Oregon. Yeah, Ron, that's our guy. Under the proposal, state and local governments would still have the authority to enforce regulations more stringent than those of the FDA, which would gain jurisdiction over cannabis regulation. Oh, interesting. interesting. So the feds want to have They would take it over. over it. Uh, well, okay. you know, psychedelics, getting back to psychedelics. This is a funny one. This is from yahoo.com. I don't know these shows, but I guess they have TV shows where people buy houses that are kind of run down. They're beaten up. They're dilapidated. They fix them up and they sell them for way more. And they make TV shows about it. And one of those shows is called flip or flop. They're flipping the house. Like, can you flip the house or does the house suck? Does it turn out to be a flop is what I'm getting out of this. So she uh, had a psychedelic experience the star of the show. Her name's Christina Hack. Turns out she's not a hack. She had a psychedelic experience and okay, she's short the with the world. Here's the headline. <laughs> Flip or flop star Christina Hack said smoking toad venom made her less egotistical and prepared her for a relationship. And that's, that's like news. Like what did I wake up from a dream? Am I in a dream? Did I wake up in a different dimension? I opened up the newspaper and somebody smoked 5-MAO-DMT and had a spiritual experience. Where's Bill Hicks? This is what Bill <laughs> Hicks used to joke about. Right. Okay. So, Christina Hack, hope of H... Christina Hack, host of HGTV's Flip or Flop, opened up about smoking psychedelic toad venom on Instagram on Saturday. The 38-year-old smoked 5-MAO-DMT a chemical naturally excreted from bufo alvarius toads that causes hallucinations. The toad venom is known to be much stronger than some psychedelics being four to six times more potent than DMT. Unlike other psychedelics with longer trips, insider previously reported five MAO DMT trips last between 30 and 90 minutes. Here's her quote. My experience felt like my ego was being ripped away from me. A much needed ego death. And this is in the, it's in the news. Yahoo news. Yahoo news. <laughs> I had a psychedelic ego death experience. I'm a, Here's Tom with the weather. As Bill exactly. Hicks would say. Hack wrote on Instagram, this information. She posted a picture of her new partner on Instagram saying the ego death she experienced after smoking the Bufo Alvarius toad venom helps her be emotionally ready for a relationship when she met him. Whoa. Whoa. Mother of three said she used the venom to treat her chronic anxiety, which she had been dealing with for years. Yeah. Wow. So that stuff is a lot stronger. You know, you go back, you listen to the episode I did with Chris Dyer way back episode number eight. He talks about his experiences with five MAO DMT. The fact that this is just like casually in the news, this person's not like losing their career like they would in the eighties. Uh, this yeah. is like, she's not like on her way to prison. This or, is so yeah. remarkable in itself. That's why I just, even though it's silly, it's like a TV show personality in that dimension, the TV show dimension. They're, the TV show dimension and the DMT dimension are somehow merging because it's really all one thing. Oh my God, here we go. NPR.org, headline, a lobster diver in Cape Cod says a humpback whale scooped him up, spit him out. Wow. A commercial lobster diver says he escaped relatively unscathed after nearly being swallowed by a humpback whale. 
in a biblical sounding encounter that whale experts describe as rare but plausible. Michael Packard, 56, said in local interviews and on social media that he was diving off the coast of Provincetown, Massachusetts on Friday morning when the whale suddenly scooped him up. I was in his closed mouth for about 30 to 40 seconds before he rose to the surface and spit me out, Packard wrote on Facebook. I'm very bruised up and have no broken bones. The Cape Cod Times reports that Packard was pulled out of the water by his crewman and rushed back to shore where he was transported to Cape Cod Hospital. He walked with a limp out of the hospital that afternoon. While he's still recovering from soft tissue damage, Packard told the newspaper he'll be back in the water as soon as he heals. Well, you know, whales supposedly don't like humans. They don't like to eat humans. They don't want to eat humans. <laughs> they don't eat. You know, they don't taste good. They're like, oh, God. They're like, what? It's like, it's like when a bug flies in your mouth. And you just, what, what's the first thing you do? Most people don't start chewing. Most people are like, with a mosquito in my mouth, like you're riding a bike. Right. You know, like, so like, Spit that bug out. What an interesting <laughs> moment to be the, to be like, whoa, I'm in a male, in a whale's mouth all of a sudden. That's kind of a, that's gotta be a trippy moment. Yeah. He could have just had some of that toad stuff. Maybe. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe he thought it was the whale. Never know. Next up is sky news. Man who died 3,000 years ago with 790 injuries is earliest known shark attack victim. Experts were initially flummoxed. I know sometimes I'm flummoxed (laughs) by what could have caused at least 790 deep serrated injuries to the ancient man 3,000 years ago. Archaeologists have recreated the brutal death of the earliest known shark attack victim, was killed around 3,000 years ago. Oxford-led researchers have been investigating evidence for violent trauma on the skeletal remains of prehistoric hunter-gatherers at Kyoto University. Alyssa White and Professor Rick Schulting reviewed the remains of a man riddled with traumatic injuries from the previously excavated site of Tsukumo by the Sito Inland Sea. In their report, the pair said, here we go again, we were initially flummoxed by what could have caused at least 790 deep serrated injuries to this man. There were so many injuries, and yet he was buried in the community burial ground. The injuries were mainly confined to the arms, legs, and front of the chest and abdomen. Through a process of elimination, we ruled out human conflict and more commonly reported animal predators or scavengers. So they turned to forensic experts... And based on the character and distribution of the tooth marks, the most likely species responsible was either a tiger or a white shark. The distribution of the wound strongly suggests the victim was alive at the time of the attack. His left hand was sheared off, possibly a defense wound. So the rivalry, the struggle between humans and sharks been going on for thousands of years. Probably our greatest enemy is the bear, the shark, man, bear, pig, or I mean, peanuts. Enemy. It's just, you know. I know. You're just like, you, maybe you smell good. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we taste like, good, unless you're a whale. Usually, though, the sharks don't eat humans. They like attack them and bite them up, but they don't, like, it's not like they ate them like eating a sandwich. They don't 
eat the whole thing and spit out the bones or anything. That's not usually what you hear. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure humans taste great to sharks. I mean, we we're salty, we're warm. You know, it's like eating like a like a warm piece of pizza or something. But you know, speaking of peanuts, <laughs> this is from wavy.com. Headline US Customs Officers find meth shipment hidden inside of peanut shells. Doesn't that sound like a meth thing to do? Like, oh my god, I have a brilliant idea. I'm gonna Sometimes these peanut shells. You feel like a nut. Sometimes you're tripping on methamphetamines. Officers with U.S. Customs and Border Protection say they discovered several hundred grams of methamphetamine hidden inside peanuts at an express consignment hub in Memphis. On June 29th, the officers x-rayed a shipment that was being sent from Mexico to Texas when they discovered some suspicious anomalies. <laughs> like, what, meth peanuts? The agency said, the manifest listed the shipment as regional bread, roasted peanuts, regional dust, sweet made of corn. Whoa. Authorities said when they broke open the peanut shells, they discovered a white crystalline substance inside. The substance later tested positive for methamphetamine. Oh, my God. Somebody had a great idea. Authorities said attempts to smuggle drugs and shipments is common. My experienced officers long ago lost all surprise at the smuggling methods they encounter every shift, said Area Port Director Michael Niepert in a news release. Narconics in fruit, nuts, baked goods, shoes, toys, and all kinds of other items disguised as gifts or other legitimate shipments fly through the express consignment world. These days you can get a gram of methamphetamine at half the price of what cocaine costs and twice the potency. Good to Is know. That, are we selling right now? Am I advertising? What's going on here? I, I don't want you to know that. I'm proud we were able to keep the shipment from getting to its destination, he said. And all authorities say they seized 489 grams, which is equivalent to 2,445 doses. Well, how do they know that? That For who? But still, 489 grams, that's almost a pound. That's, how many grams are in a pound? I don't know. It's a lot of methamphetamine. 454? doesn't need to be. 448. Used. This is from Reuters.com. This is a big one. This is huge news on Earth. A tie in Washington eating contest, says the headline. 34 burgers in 10 minutes. I can't wait till that news gets to those planets that are listening. They're yeah, in 100 like, years. Whoa, are you so stoked? <laughs> oh, God. Molly Schuler, a mother of four from California, managed to down the 34 burgers, just one shy of her record of 35, during the annual Independence Burger Eating Championship hosted by local fast food chain Z Burger. Her annual nemesis, <laughs> fellow professional eater Dan Killer Kennedy of Pennsylvania, also scarfed down 34 burgers on Friday, placing the two in a tie. Oh, she couldn't eat that last one. Neither oh. could he. In total, 14 of the top independent U.S. professional eaters and local area... Professional eaters? That's right. Contestants squared off to see who could stomach the most burgers in the allotted 10-minute time frame as they competed for $4,350 in prize money, including the grand prize of $750 in cash. 
Once the time was up, contestants still had to wait another two minutes for judges to make sure they would actually hold in the enormous volume of food ingested. A small but enthusiastic crowd usually turns out each year to observe the annual July 4th spectacle as well as to indulge in a few free burger afterwards. Oh, you get a free burger. Just one. Yeah, while they're running out after the contest. The two posed for the media after the contest, holding their shared trophy and wrapping a champion's belt around both their waists. Wow. You might get married now. Well, she was married. She's a mother of four. That's right. You know, and plus they'd never have enough food. They'd always be fighting over burgers. I don't know if that was a good joke, but you know what we're going to (laughs) do? We're going to go to NBCnews.com. We're going to talk about shamanism. This is going to be interesting. 4,400-year-old shaman snake staff discovered in Finland, the headline says. Researchers said the carved wooden lifelike snake matches magical staffs of traded ancient rock art from the region. A 4,400-year-old life-size wooden snake unearthed in Finland may have been a staff used in magical rituals by a Stone Age shaman, according to a study released Monday. The lifelike figurine, which was carved from a single piece of wood, is 21 inches long and about an inch thick at its widest, with what seems to be a very snake-like head with its mouth open. It was found perfectly preserved in a buried layer of peat near the town of Harvinsuo that archaeologists think was occupied by Neolithic peoples 4,000 to 6,000 years ago. It's unlike anything else we've ever found in Finland, although a few stylized snake figurines have been found at Neolithic archaeological sites elsewhere in the eastern Baltic region in Russia. They don't resemble a real snake like this one, University of Turku archaeologist Satu Koivisto said in an email. My colleague found it in one of our trenches last summer. I thought she was joking, but when I saw the snake's head... It gave me the shivers. Interesting. It could have been just like a kid's toy. It could have been some sort of science replica as well. Yeah. Like a model snake. Sure. That's school. Yeah. You're at school. Makes sense. Why not? Right. Who knows? LiveScience.com. Scientists convert plastic waste into vanilla flavoring. Mm, No, thanks. That's the headline. Yum. In the future, your vanilla ice cream may be made from plastic bottles. I want to eat plastic bottles. Uh, I'm going to do something with these things. (laughs) You do not want to recycle if you don't want to eat plastic bottles, Bryn. What's going on with that? I thought (laughs) you cared about the environment. Why don't you want to eat plastic bottles that taste like vanilla ice cream? Okay, here's the the article. You might change your mind after you hear the article. Here we go. I'll hear you out. In the future, your vanilla ice cream may be made from plastic bottles. Scientists have figured out a way to convert plastic waste into vanilla flavoring with genetically engineered bacteria, according to a new study. Vanillin, the compound that carries most of the smell and taste of vanilla, can be extracted naturally from vanilla beans or made synthetically. About 85% of vanillin is currently made from chemicals taken from fossil fuels. What? So 85% already is made out of oil? Yep. It's Sorry, go ahead. What you were going to say? I was just going to say that's why you're supposed to 
see on your label that it says real vanilla extract or natural vanilla extract because the rest is just coming. It's just artificial flavoring. Vanillin is found in a wide variety of food, cosmetic, pharmaceutical, cleaning, and herbicide products, and the demand is growing rapidly, the authors wrote in the study. In 2018, the global demand for vanillin was about 40,800 tons it's expected to grow to 65,000 tons by 2025. Holy cow. That's, like, that's a whole lot of vanilla. Like that's the global demand. According to the study wow. published June 10th, the demand for vanilla far exceeds the vanilla bean supply. So scientists have resorted to synthetically producing vanilla. For the new study, researchers used a novel method to convert plastic waste into vanillin as a way to both supply vanillin and reduce plastic pollution. I'm sensing a theme here. You had the earlier article about uh, the uh, shit coin. There is kind of a theme going. The researchers mingled their genetic engineered bacteria with terephthalic acid, kept them at 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit for a day. About 79% of the terephthalic acid subsequently Converted into vanillin. Oh my God. We're going to be eating plastic bottles, people. We're going to be eating cricket burgers and genetically plas- modified plastic bottles, oh mind you. My God. <laughs> Sorry, that article didn't change my mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you don't like vanillin then. Fine. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, uh, you know, China strawberry. Keeps I like strawberry. Popping up. I wonder why, but they keep popping up in the news. Now they have another piece of human evolution. This is from. CBS News, and the headline is Massive Dragon Man Skull Found in China Might Be a New Human Evolutionary Branch. Mm. A gigantic fossilized skull that was hidden in a well in China for 90 years has just been discovered by scientists, and it's making them rethink human evolution. The skull was originally found in 1933 by Chinese laborers building a bridge in Harbin, a northern Chinese city, During the Japanese occupation, researchers said, to prevent the skull from falling into Japanese hands, it was wrapped and hidden in an abandoned well. It was only rediscovered in 2018 when the old man who originally hid it told his grandson shortly before his death. The remarkably well-preserved fossil has been labeled a new human species, Homo longi, by Chinese researchers. The species has been dubbed Dragon Man for the northern Chinese province where the skull was found, which was the Black Dragon River region. In a series of three articles published in research journal Innovation on Friday, scientists poised that the skull belonged to an approximately 50-year-old man. He would have had a wide nose to allow him to breathe uninhibited during heavy activity and probably would have been built sturdily to withstand the frigid regional winters, researchers wrote. The Chinese team said they think the Harbin cranium is sufficiently unique that it qualifies as a new species. However, others are not convinced. Professor Chris Stringer, a research leader at the Natural History Museum in London, who also worked on the project, told The Guardian that the skull may be similar to another skull found in China in 1978. He said the important thing is the third lineage of later humans that are separate from Neanderthals and separate from Homo sapiens. It doesn't sound like he feels like that's it. So 
we're always finding new things. We're always finding new layers to this story. That's why you can't get too caught up. You can't get too attached to one perspective, to one belief structure. You want to be like a quantum computer. You want to be in superposition where you're in a state of belief and unbelief at the same time. That way, when new information presents itself, you're not in a state of shock because you've invested so much in believing something to be absolutely true. Yep. Until it's not. So, okay, Bryn, do you remember who Yuri Geller is? Do you know who Yuri Geller is? I recognize the name, but no. He was the guy. Maybe you've heard something about this. He was able to bend spoons with his mind. Okay, yes. And a lot of people have reported that he did do that. There's some video of him doing that. Mm -hmm. Yes. He's kind of a famous guy. So he's went public now and he's saying, here. this is from celebnewsweek.com. Here's the headline. UFOs are real. NASA showed me an alien spacecraft and I've been secretly contacting ETs for years, says Yuri Geller. Spoonbender Yuri Geller claims he's been secretly working with Americans for years to contact aliens. Yuri, now 74, says he had secret meetings with German rocket engineer Werner von Braun at NASA and was shown a piece of a crashed UFO. For years, I had to deny my true mission and camouflage my work famous psychic set few people knew the truth i presume all world leaders do now obama trump netanyahu we're all communicating with et he spoke out after the pentagon released its long-awaited ufo report to the congress last week revealing 144 unexplained encounters of unidentified aerial phenomena with the military and not ruling out a possible alien origin yuri said for years the pentagon has known ufos are real They may suggest they are secret technology from China or Russia, but believe me, they know much more of this, Yuri said. The findings were based on reports by the secretive UAP task force between 2004 and 2021. Only one was identified as a deflated balloon. That's what we keep talking about. This is the report that was released. We're psychedelically tapping into it back and forth (laughs) through these various articles. The report said some UFOs could be attributed to foreign technology developed by China or Russia or a non-government entity, but more analysis would be needed. Well, so Werner von Braun, who was part of Project Paperclip, he was an actual Nazi. Think about this for a second. Think about how this would fly these days. A bunch of Nazis, a group of Nazis were brought over after World War II to assist America in the different fields where their expertise was found, science, technology, industry. Even Joseph Mengele. Werner von Braun was the rocket tech for Hitler. When World War II ended, they gave him a job in America. Even though he was guilty, just like the others. He started NASA. He had the rocket technology. We felt like it was more important to have the upper hand than deal with the fact that these people were previously Nazis. So this Nazi, true Nazi, Werner von Braun, started NASA, considered an American hero, and told Yuri Geller about the ETs he got to see a craft. I think that's pretty interesting. I don't think Yuri Geller's lying. What do you think, Brett? You know, he can bend spoons. So, (laughs) 
You think he's telling the truth? I think he could be for sure. Who's to say that he isn't? That's that's a very uh, firm and solid answer. <laughs> I mean, I'd have to I'd have to uh, hear him say it to see how it looks. Like feel like the energy, it, feel, yeah. feel his energy. Like is he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hard to tell from an article. Okay, well, let's move on to the next article then. SciTech Daily headline: Scientists identify specific human brain circuit for spirituality. Here's this is interesting. Using data sets from neurosurgical patients and those with brain lesions, investigators mapped lesion locations associated with spiritual and religious belief to a specific human brain circuit. More than 80% of people around the world consider themselves to be religious or spiritual. I'm included. I guess I'm in that 80%. But research on the neuroscience of spirituality and religiosity, did I say that right? Religiosity. There you go has been sparse. Previous studies have used functional neuroimaging in which an individual undergoes a brain scan while performing a task to see what areas of the brain line up. But these correlative studies have given a spotty and often inconsistent picture of spirituality. Which makes sense. Right. They're like, <laughs> it's not it's just, just the brain. It's not just it's like the red corner of, lights yeah. up. <laughs> it's a, coming out from a physical perspective. What radio signals i mean yeah. you're trying to read in the radio like read the radio waves. a new study led by investigators at brigham and women's hospital takes a new approach to mapping spirituality and religiosity and finds that spiritual acceptance can be localized to a specific brain circuit this brain circuit is centered in the perioquaductal gray or pag you would probably know if you're a doctor you know what that means a brain stem region that has been implicated in numerous functions, including fear conditioning, pain modulation, altruistic behaviors, and unconditional love. Fire up my pack. The team's findings are published in biological psychiatry. And here's a quote. Our results suggest that spirituality, and religiosity are rooted in fundamental neurobiological dynamics and deeply woven into our neurofabric. No kidding. <laughs> Shock! And the, I know, the, the sky is blue. Said the corresponding author, Michael Ferguson, PhD, a principal investigator in the Brigham Center for Brain Circuit Therapeutics. We were astonished to find that this brain circuit for spirituality is centered in one of the most evolutionarily preserved structures in the brain. Right, Interesting. Like the oldest, the brain stem. It's just, you know, like yeah. you said, unconditional love or fear, like all those basic feeling spirituality is part of that why are they astonished with that i wonder i think they're astonished because it proves that there's some sort of true functionality to the spiritual experience because they're able to see a physical reaction so therefore they're like scientifically deciding that it has some validity perhaps maybe i don't know so we got just a few more people just a few more we've ripped through these stories these beyond the news stories, these strange stories Brynn and I have been sharing with you. It's been interesting. This is from Popular Science. Here's the headline. Scientists discovered four new Earth-sized rogue planets with no suns. I think this is really interesting. Astronomers cleverly repurposed old technology to find these planetary needles in a galactic haystack. 
So now they're saying, I've heard about this. Now they're saying there's rogue planets in our galaxy. And they don't have a sun. They're just flying around. What are these planets? What are the energy? Can you imagine the energy of these planets? They have no sun. They're just out in space. They're, they're not free. orbiting. They're just, or maybe they are orbiting. They're, I don't know. Think something. they are. I think they're just kind of floating around. Well, here we go. Let's see what he says. Astronomers have just detected four new Earth-sized exoplanets floating along near our Milky Way's galactic bulge, the cluster of dust, gas, and stars at our galaxy center. But unlike Earth, these planets don't belong to any solar system. They're free-floating rogues. Scientists found these four new discoveries thanks to data from the now-retired Kepler K2 mission. During its tenure, the Kepler Space Telescope scanned the galactic bulge and gathered microlensing signals, a phenomenon that can be used to detect objects, including planets, even when they emit very little light. After analyzing Kepler's data, researchers found that four of those recorded signals are consistent with those of planets similar in size to Earth. The findings were published in monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. Signal patterns suggest that none of these newly found planets have any accompanying stars, making them free-floating or rogue planets. Free-floaters likely start as regular planets around a star, but go rogue when their orbits are disturbed by the gravitational tug of other celestial bodies nearby. They break free. Wow. That's just weird Whoa. cosmic universal paradigm shit that i'm just like way outside of wow as a human it's just like whoa this is like, that would what be is like that saturn's cruising along and some other planet something something comes something along pulls and it pulls it out the gravity yeah and then it's just and like, then it's just out there it's just gone Interessante. Hmm. what's remarkable about these new findings is scientists ability to use old technology in innovative new ways Kepler was actually not designed to detect microlensing events, nor was it meant to peer into the dense center of our galaxy. Scientists had to do an immense amount of data sorting and cleaning to tease out their findings. The authors of the new paper write that there are likely many more Earth-sized celestial nomads in the Milky Way and new forthcoming space missions with updated technology will likely uncover some of them. Wow. Have you ever felt like a celestial nomad? Well, now they're saying that Jupiter has 79 moons. Have you heard about that? No, 79? Yeah, the, Jupiter actually has 79 moons now. They're saying they just found some more. I should have pulled up that article. I don't have it right now. I only have two more articles left. We'll save that for the next yeah, time. Yeah, find that next time. That is fascinating. So if you think about UFOs, you think about how it's going so mainstream. We're going to go to this article called from pressconnects.com. What Enwell pastor and author makes of UFO sightings. They may be angels and in the Bible. So here we go. The Pentagon says they do not know what kind of force they are dealing with. Moses could have said amen to that, says the Reverend Barry Downing. Downing, the pastor emeritus at Northminster Presbyterian Church at Enwell, has been writing and talking about UFOs for more than 50 years. He's written books titled The Bible and Flying Saucers and Biblical UFO Revelations. New revelations about military pilots seeing unidentified objects have spurred him to many questions. We have a scientific and religious mystery. Are we going to find it or enjoy it? 
maybe even hope in it, Downing asked. The government has pointed to some advanced technology, not sure what the pilots encountered, Downing said. I don't expect a Pentagon statement that the aliens are here, and I'm okay with that because the God of the Bible doesn't walk out of the human stage and say, here I am, folks. UFOs have mystified the Pentagon. They have good scientists working on this. Their scientists were baffled. This means that we moved in the area of faith and uncertainty, and we should be glad, he says. And he thinks that the parting of the Red Sea, as written in Exodus 14, could have happened with angelic or extraterrestrial help. And he really feels like it did happen. He said though the ETs did carry out the Exodus, they were in some kind of spaceship called the Pillar of Fire by the Bible. The whole Exodus itself can be worked out that way. So, you, you know, you're going to have people processing the extraterrestrial experience in all the different ways yeah, through that their they own can, filters. through their yeah. own filters in order to make it work because it's going to be undeniable. If something's undeniable and people don't want to die per se. They're not going to kill themselves. They don't want to die. They have to adjust. They can't go insane. And so in order to adjust, they're going to have to incorporate the information through whatever filters they have in place. So our final funny story <laughs> for our Beyond the News episode this is from ZNewsInIndia.com. Headline, British woman falls in love with an alien, says waiting for her next date. Oh. Abby Bela claims that she was abducted by an alien group in an unidentified flying object and she is in love with one of the aliens and her alien lover is better than any man on earth. <laughs> <laughs> People are mostly heard saying that their special one is out of the world in order to express the amount of love they care and receive from them. But what if somebody actually means that their special person or lover is from the other world and they are not using the sentence just metaphorically? Yes, this sounds bizarre, but that's exactly what happened when a British woman claimed she was in love with an alien who belongs to the Andromeda galaxy. Abby Bailov, the woman who was in love with aliens, claimed that she was abducted by an alien group and an unidentified flying object. Bailov says that she was abducted by aliens from her bedroom earlier this month. She further says that her alien soulmate is better than any man on Earth, and she's waiting for her next date with her alien lover, according to the report. Here's her quote. I'm sick of men from Earth. I joked online about wanting an alien to abduct me, I then started dreaming every night of white light. One night, a voice in my dream said, wait in the usual spot. The next evening, I sat next to my open window. As I drifted to sleep, a flying saucer appeared outside. There was a bright green beam which transported me to the UFO. Dang. According to Abby, the aliens she met were similar to humans, but they were very tall and slender. As per reports, her first encounter with aliens lasted for only 20 minutes. Abby says she was safely returned to her home and is looking forward to her next date with her alien lover. Another bizarre story also comes from a British woman, Paula Smith, who claims she was abducted by aliens in her childhood, and that continued ever since. According to her, she has been abducted more than 50 times, and UFOs were in the shape of a boomerang with lights on their edges so this happens for people and sometimes they're tall sometimes there's love and they're slender and they got that alien swagger 
this alien ass. They were soulmates in 20 minutes. That's pretty crazy. I'm come all the way from Andromeda to see you. You might just fall in love. Yeah, that's a long way. This is way. what we're experiencing. So everyone, I hope you enjoyed this segment, this episode of Beyond the News. Aliens and psychedelics. Aliens, psychedelics, cannabis, shitcoin. We talked about <laughs> all these different things. There's some good articles. There's some funny articles. There's some good ones. We're going to do it again probably in the next couple months. We do it, I don't know, bi-monthly, I guess, more or less. Because there's so much weird news, it starts to pile up. We don't want to miss anything. So it starts to pile up, so we have to attack these episodes. Occasionally, I'm always going to bring, if she's available, Bryn Anderson from <laughs> Vital Force Herbs. Bryn, before we go, do you have anything to say to our lovely Midnight on Earth audience, the Beyond the News episode, the third now, third Beyond the News episode. Third Beyond the News. Thanks for being here, everybody. And thank you, Jake, for having me. All right. Well, I guess we will see you next week. Everybody, check us out on Instagram, of course. We're going to be doing a lot of live feeds. I'm going to be at Red Rocks uh, this weekend. This episode will be debuting on Thursday. So I'll be doing a lot of live streaming from Red Rocks the weekend after this episode debuts. So keep an eye on Instagram. Look out for some, li for some live streams. I'm going to be doing live podcasting from the Red Rocks Amphitheater in Morrison, Colorado. I'm going to be handing out stickers. I'm going to be helping my friends podcast, No Simple Road. I'm going to be promoting for them. It's going to be a really awesome. awesome experience. And I hope if you're in the Colorado area, you happen to be going to these shows, please seek me out. You know, hit me up on Instagram. I'm there. Come meet me. I'll be at those shows. Sticker. Come get a sticker. I'll be there all three days. So I'm going to hit the outro music, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Midnight on Earth. <laughs>